Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant, and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Certainly hope you're enjoying your weekend. One of the biggest stories this last week in Kentucky was that Ford is building a nearly $6 billion car battery plant that will create 5,000 jobs. Even more jobs are expected from suppliers and other logistical operations that it will take to support the huge twin plants that are actually being built in Hardin County. Many predict the impact will be felt statewide. There is political credit to spread around. The Democratic governor and the Republican-led legislature both played major roles. What does it mean for the Commonwealth? Kentucky Chamber of Commerce President and CEO Ashley Watts is joining us to react to that. The Kentucky Chamber is also out with a fresh new report on workforce issues in the state. And there are some major challenges out there. Ashley Watts, welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Thanks Thank for coming. Thank you so much for having Appreciate me. Appreciate it. Big week. Uh, Big week. Very exciting. Let's talk about it. A huge announcement from Ford. First of all, this is a company with about a 100-year relationship with the Kentucky decades of operating plants in Louisville. But how much of a vote of confidence is it in Kentucky to have that kind of investment uh, represented by a huge operation like Ford? Absolutely, and I think after the last 18 months, we've really needed some good news. And so by having a Kentucky business that we all know, Ford, who's been a longtime partner in Louisville, continue their operations and in, in, in expanding into Hardin County and investing that significant dollar amount in 5,000 jobs is a huge vote of confidence. And so we're really excited about the new plant that will be built, I think, in 2025, and all of the suppliers, like you mentioned, that will come with it. Uh, it's very similar to what they say happened back in the, you know, when Toyota came. Toyota was located here in, in Georgetown, and then all of a sudden suppliers started popping up all throughout the state. And we do feel that, that same effect will be felt throughout the Commonwealth. And the jobs should start soon with the construction, construction to begin with, yes. right? And that can happen before the end of the year. It absolutely can. And so we're really excited to get that going. It's not just jobs for the future with the 5,000 full-time jobs. It'll also be those construction jobs to get that plan up and running. You know, as you mentioned, uh, in the Georgetown area, when Toyota came, uh, there were a, a big transformation of that uh, city and then certainly it spread out with all the supplier plants the logistics that it takes to help support a plant like that and others who come to town to visit and so on do you expect this really to have a statewide impact I hope so I'm actually from Hardin County originally and I went to school in Glendale and it is literally a depot town where the train still runs through it very small town however Hardin County is a growing county it's near Bowling Green which has been growing and th that area right there through the 65 corridor is just primed and ready for growth. And so I do think because the infrastructure is so good on that 65 corridor that, that suppliers and everyone that will be working with the Ford plant will be locating throughout Kentucky. What does it say about Kentucky, do you think, that, that in looking forward, futuristic, this is, uh, you know, Ford betting on electric mm -hmm. vehicles, that they say Kentucky has a place in this, uh, in this futuristic endeavor? It's very exciting. It really is the job of the future. And apparently Apparently the CEO Bill Ford even said this is the biggest development that Ford's had since the Model T and so to have that kind of faith and trust that, can, that Kentucky can build this plant and find the workforce and make this product is a huge you know seal of approval from Ford and we're excited to kind of for the challenge and for, for continuing our partnership with Ford. 
You know, uh, in Kentucky, like elsewhere in this uh, divided country that we're in right now, there's always uh, business decisions and politics intertwined. We have a lot of back and forth, certainly. But uh, this is a case where, where the Democratic governor's administration uh, negotiated specifics of the deal and pushed the incentives in the Republican leg legislature, mm -hmm. which passed them. And the Republicans in the legislature also had the foresight to buy that property some years back. Right. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly like you said. Politics can be very divisive at times. And we always hear that one side is against each other. Uh, but right now, right for economic development, it's something that both sides of the aisle can agree on. And the governor obviously have had lots of discussions to get forward to locate into Hardin County that he and his team worked on. But the legislature paid a, played a very important part with Senate Bill 5 and the special legislative session of making sure that the incentives would be there so that Ford could locate in Hardin County. So it really was an all-hands-on-deck approach, and it was a great bipartisan effort. What strengths do you think Kentucky has when we're out there uh, talking to uh, major operations that might be considering locating in Kentucky? We know of the Amazon development in northern mm -hmm. Kentucky, some of the other uh, things that are happening. Uh, what do we say about luring people to the Commonwealth? Every time I talk to you, Bill, I feel like I have to mention infrastructure, um, and that is the same case in this. When we talk about economic development and you talk about why people and businesses come to Kentucky, it really does lead back to infrastructure. It is not a coincidence that there will now be two Ford plants on the I-65 corridor. It's not a coincidence that GM is located on the 65 corridor or that UPS or that Toyota and Amazon are on 75. If you build it, they will come. And so our infrastructure and our logistical hub that we are is really something that attracts businesses to Kentucky. We're within one day's driving distance, I believe, of two-thirds of the population in the United States. And so our central geographic location is something that really cannot be beat. We also have a low cost of doing business here. We have low utility rates, which is a great thing to have. And then we also have a lot of availability of workforce, which we can talk about in a minute when we talk about our workforce report. We do have the people, hopefully, that can go and fill these jobs. And we're beginning to see this uh, spread out as, as we said, we, we do anticipate there will be spinoff plants, but we know there are other announcements being made uh, recently over the summer. Firestone uh, in southeastern Kentucky, mm -hmm. the Williamsburg area, they're expanding. Mm -hmm. Some other announcements like that. Yeah, down in western Kentucky, Pratt Paper, I think, is locating in Henderson, which is going to have several hundred jobs. And so it's been a really exciting time, especially coming out of COVID, to continually hear about these economic uh, investments here in the Commonwealth. Now let's talk some other issues and let's uh, examine that work for situation. Uh, the Chamber has released a report this week that examines the state's huge challenges uh, with, uh, with workforce. What does that report reveal? So as the Chamber President, I talk to businesses every single day and the overwhelming number one concern they have, and it's been this for several years, is workforce. We very simply put, we have too many jobs without people and too many people without jobs. And how do we make those things match? And so like many things in the last 18 months, COVID kind of heightened a lot of the inequities that Kentucky currently faces. And workforce really is at the top of this list. We had worked for many years, business partnering with education, higher education, the KCCS system to make sure that we had the available workforce that were skilled and ready for the jobs that Kentucky currently has. And we had made progress. We were kind of at the bottom of the barrel several years ago in terms of competing with our other states. And we had actually gotten to 40th in the nation in terms of workforce participation rate, which is the number of able-bodied people ages 18 to 65 that are showing up into the workforce. 
very quickly overnight. We know what happened here in Kentucky with COVID and that number has dropped significantly. We are now 48th in the nation in terms of workforce participation rate, only behind or only ahead of West Virginia and Mississippi. Now, now what is that? What does that say? What is going on out there? It says we have a lot of people that have left the workforce that have not reentered the workforce. So for an example, since March of 2020, we've had about 100,000 people leave the workforce and not come back. We know unemployment hit record highs last year, but a lot of those people have gone back to their jobs or found new jobs. We know there are hundreds of thousands of available jobs here in the Commonwealth, but 100,000 Kentuckians in about a year and a half have left the workforce and have not come back in, and that's the, that's the problem we're looking to, to solve. And so when you have these situations where businesses are having to cut back hours or potentially even in some cases close locations because they uh, can't uh, hire enough workers, uh, maybe we should have seen this coming. This has really been, uh, the, the, the title of our report is The Workforce Crisis, 20 Years in the Making. This really is something that we've been seeing happening over the last couple of decades, and it really is a national trend. Kentucky is not the only one where our workforce numbers are decreasing. This is going on all throughout the United States. But unfortunately, Kentucky has not done as well as other states of getting those numbers back up. How do we dig ourselves out of this? So it's not a problem that happened overnight, and the solution is not going to happen overnight. There's going to be policy solutions, programmatic solutions, businesses working with education community to make sure that we can upskill our workforce. But the good news here is, is that we do have a population of people that we can get back into the workforce. So when we hear from companies like Ford that are coming and investing these large sums of money into Kentucky, and they want 5,000 workers, we have that population. We just need to get them back into the workforce and train. And we hear that, you know, there is an effort now by the, uh, the Council on Post-Secondary Education to try to align uh, what is being taught and some of the jobs that are out there uh, to try to get those together, to get a better alignment of uh, availability and uh, interest of the, the students who are studying to go to, into the job force. Absolutely. Our educational community has been absolutely critical in this, and they have been tremendous partners with the business community of really having that pipeline, of having that open dialogue dialogue of what businesses need, what skills are going to need, and then teaching that in their in their institutions. And we've already heard from the Hardin County site that the community and technical college there in Hardin County will help kind of train their workers. So it really is an all hands on deck approach to make sure we can you know, solve this problem. Lexington is uh, the latest city to be considering paying remote workers uh, to uh, to move here and I guess do jobs uh, other places. Paducah has a similar program. There was one in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma that apparently was uh, pretty successful. Uh, is that the way of the future that uh, cities and, and localities are going to try to, to bring in the people with higher uh, pay and, and, and maybe get them to say, well, since you can live anywhere, live here? I think so. We've heard of some in Hawaii. So people are really getting creative and making sure the workforce that is now very mobile and that can work from home can come and live in their city or state. The chamber has supported these initiatives in the last General Assembly. Uh, Senator Chris McDaniel from up in Northern Kentucky sponsored a bill. It was fairly last minute in the last couple of days of session and it didn't kind of see final passage. But we do think this will be revisited and we now know from other states, other localities of what works and what doesn't. We want to make sure that there is good ROI on this and that we really are going to kind of see the bang for our buck. 
But this is something for Kentucky where we are very centrally located. We have a low cost of living that we really should be able to tap into and make people, you know, have people come to the Commonwealth and live, but work remotely. And it also shows the importance of having good broadband throughout Kentucky because you can only work if you're going to be connected. So that's going to be a huge priority in the upcoming years. I know a lot of businesses and business leaders reach out to you uh, for advice and you do the best you can to, to let them know what you're seeing. Uh, a lot of businesses have instituted uh, vaccine mandates for workers. We know there's a, a federal uh, proposal from the president to, to do that for most larger businesses. Is that proving to be a, a big area of discussion among uh, Kentucky businesses? It's definitely a hot topic these days. The chamber absolutely supports the rights of employers to mandate the vaccine if they feel that they should do so. This is current law. This is standing law. This is really nothing new. And we trust employers to really make the best decisions for their workplace and for their employees. This, of course, is a hot discussion in, in terms of political uh, strategies. And so I do think this will be something discussed. But we as the chamber very much support the rights of employers to mandate the vaccines. On the president's order, I think we're still awaiting guidance on kind of the technicalities because it's not really just a vaccine mandate, it's a vaccine or testing mandate. So if you're not vaccinated, then you have to be tested weekly, which many employers are already doing. And a lot of the large employers already have systems set up for this. It's those medium-sized employers because the order would go into effect for any business with over 100 employees. So those are some pretty small employers if you think about it. And so Logistically, we're just trying to figure out, will there be enough testing? Who pays for the testing? Is it the employee or the employer? So some of those things we'll know more about, I think, as we get more guidance on that executive order. The state's uh, school test scores came back this week. And, uh, you know, there are challenges, obviously. Uh, there's been uh, progress has stalled uh, during the, the COVID pandemic. Uh, the education commissioner says maybe some of the students have uh, acquired some other skills, though, maybe so looking at the bright side. Do uh, Chamber members, you think, uh, have some concerns out there about uh, uh, trying to roll our way out of all of this together? It's definitely a point of concern, but I don't think it was unexpected. We knew that we probably would not see the scores that we had wanted to see. I have two children at home that I was thinking this is the third school year that we've had to deal with COVID and whether being shut down or virtual school or quarantines, this is the third school year that all of us parents in Kentucky are dealing with. And so though they were concerning, obviously the test scores, we wanted them to be higher. I don't think it was unexpected. And I think it's really important that we have those test scores and we know because if we don't know the problem, we won't know how to fix it. So at least now we know the problem, we know where the students are, and we can work to correct it. And I do think we'll work our, you know, our way out of this in the upcoming years. But like I said, this is now the third school year, so it's not going to happen overnight. I know business uh, likes to be heard, and you like to get out and listen to, uh, to what is going on across the state. What are you hearing from uh, people right now in terms of the trends they see uh, with business in Kentucky? And do announcements like what we saw this week uh, really encourage things? I think, you know, right now, workforce really is kind of the top concern among businesses. You still see some restaurants that aren't open to the public, only drive-through, or stores that have limited hours. And that that's not really because of COVID regulations anymore. It's because they just don't have enough workers. So that's the concern. However, weeks like this week where we hear big announcements from Ford and Churchill Downs, there really is a renewed sense of optimism coming out of a very long year and a half where businesses had to, the word of the year is pivot, uh, 
uh, and make all of the needed changes to keep everyone safe and the economy going. So these kind of announcements, I mean, a record-breaking announcement like Ford really does show optimism and that we're ready for a comeback. Let's talk a little bit about the Churchill Downs announcement, which is a huge. That is a facility in downtown Louisville, right? And uh, they uh, have big plans to have historical racing there, creating a brand new venue. This is really exciting, and as uh, someone that's been a lobbyist for many years yep. in Frankfurt, this is a great example of policy that really, when it goes into effect, puts people back to work, puts people in good paying jobs, and does what we intended it to do. And so many people supported the historical horse racing bill that passed this last legislative session on a bipartisan measure. The chamber was one of the lead supporters of this, and we knew that by the end of the day, if it were to pass, it would create good paying jobs here in the Commonwealth. And that's exactly what it's doing. So it's really nice to see the result of a piece of legislation like that. So there will be a new facility in downtown Louisville. They just announced it this morning with, I think, a couple hundred jobs and really I kind of... I think it's like 450, they're oh, saying. Oh, 450 yeah, that's, jobs. That's even better. Number, I believe. Yeah. So it just shows yeah. when you put good policy in place, what can happen from it. So I think it's very exciting. And uh, also uh, Keeneland and uh, its partners are doing some uh, tracks, uh, a track in Corbin mm -hmm. and a betting facility in Williamsburg as well down that way. Absolutely. A lot of times when we talk about horse racing or historical horse racing, you think Keeneland and Churchill, and really it is spread all throughout the Commonwealth. There are some down in western Kentucky, eastern Kentucky, southern Kentucky, and so bills like historical horse racing really do make a statewide impact. We are, you know, three months away or so from the state legislature meeting, the 2022 session. They have a lot to get done. They have to redistrict. They have to pass the state budget uh, and, and, and probably some clean up measures on where to go with the COVID response. Uh, does the chamber have any high priorities? We do. I think tax reform really is one of the things that we're really focusing on. We've made a lot of strides in the last couple of years in terms of being competitive and having a business-friendly environment, But and we've made some strides in tax reform. We have made some changes the last couple of years that have been good for business, increased our competitiveness, and helped us attract some of these businesses that you see opening today. However, there is more work to be done. Uh, when we look at the census data that just came out, you can see the states that are growing and the states that are not, and Kentucky grew at a little less than 4%. That's okay, but we can do better. We can look at states like North Carolina and Texas and Florida and Tennessee, our neighbor to the south, and see that they grew by leaps and bounds. And what do they all have in common? They have a little bit more business-friendly tax climate. They are a more consumption-based tax system. And so we know what makes states grow and what makes it, what states do not. And so that's something that we'll be championing this session. And along, like I said, with infrastructure, the gas tax, we'll be back with that as well. Ashley Watts, as always, thank you so much for coming by. Appreciate it very much from the Kentucky Chamber of Commerce. Thank you so much for having me. And we hope you'll stay with us. We're coming right back in just a moment when we'll hear uh, what Governor Bashir had to say about this week's major announcement by Ford and their decision to heavily invest in Kentucky. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers, and we're glad you're with us. Governor Andy Beshear talked with us about the largest economic development announcement ever for the state. Ford's decision to build car battery plants near Elizabethtown was celebrated in Frankfurt. And the governor talked to WKYT Sam Dick about how quickly things are likely to get going with Ford's big Kentucky plans. Well, we have been working on this for months and months. It was incredibly competitive uh, because for, for Ford, uh, this is transformational for them. Uh, they ultimately have to have a partner that they are betting their company and their future with. Uh, and so it was a long process, but at the end of the day, I think that it was 
uh, having one of the best sites of America, uh, just south of Elizabethtown. It was having wonderful local leadership down there that was hungry and welcoming. It's the legislature quickly passing that Senate Bill 5 that showed just how serious we are. Uh, and then I think it was a pledge from my administration that we know uh, the trust that Ford is putting in us, and we are not going to let them down. Because Ford leading in the future of electric vehicles is Kentucky leading in the future of electric vehicles. As opposed to other potential sites, if there were any in other parts of the state, was it key to be somewhat close to Louisville? Well, the real key was the size of, of, of the land. This is 1,500 acres because these will be the largest battery plants that we believe exist in the country and possibly the world. Together, they're going to be 86 gigawatts, which is never heard uh, of before. Uh, so it is just a massive project. And it's, it's I call it planetary because it's going to have its own gravity uh, because uh, unlike the assembly, uh, uh, part, uh, there is no supply chain for electric vehicle batteries in the United States. And that means a lot of suppliers are already calling us and that we've got an opportunity here to land so many other companies that are part of what it takes to create these batteries. So um, a, a very big uh, site um, and being right off 65 with rail as well was was really critical. Curious, going back to history with the with Toyota Motor Manufacturing coming under the leadership of Governor Martha Collins, was there anything learned from that experience, or is this just a whole brand new situation and you didn't have to look back as to what we did back then? Well, right now our economy is on fire. We are seeing the jobs of the future and they are all over Kentucky. It's everything from thousands of jobs in, in ag tech with App Harvest in Eastern Kentucky, uh, growing our country's tomatoes on abandoned coal mines, uh, to uh, Pratt Paper, which will be the cleanest, greenest, uh, most sophisticated recycled paper mill and the largest project in Western Kentucky in 25 years. And then we have this, the largest uh, economic development announcement in our history, and it's down I-65, not in Louisville. So what we're seeing right now is uh, an economy that has taken off, that is going to make us a leader uh, in this new post-COVID economy, and the prosperity isn't just in our major cities. It is all over. This gives us a chance for all of our families uh, to have those good jobs in their communities and for their kids to stay in their communities if they choose to. For a dad, um, that's a pretty special thing. Uh, from what I understand, they hope to open in the year 2025, so a little less than maybe four years from now. Uh, do you have any details on when hiring will begin and what kind of salary and jobs will be available to all these folks? Well, they are going to start hiring here in the fourth quarter uh, for everything from overseeing the construction, where we will have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Kentuckians uh, working to build the two largest battery plants uh, that this country has ever seen. And then we're, we're going to have a number of other people as they scale up. Uh, something this size is going to have something for everybody. It's going to have uh, that, that person coming out of high school that's ready for a career and to earn a good paycheck. 
tech, and these are good paying jobs. It's going to be those that have secured a trade and a certificate and can come in and use that expertise. It's going to be those with a two-year degree uh, that have spent time specifically training uh, to be ready for a, a higher level job, and it's going to be a lot of people coming out of universities as well. Five thousand just to start and to give you an idea how that spreads out uh, ford right now employs 13,000 people between two plants in louisville but it's created 120,000 jobs throughout kentucky this is going to do the same and we hope you'll stay with us on wkyt's kentucky newsmakers in just a moment our report from greta van susteren Welcome back now to Kentucky Newsmakers. Homes and communities burned to the ground. Cities under 14 feet of water. Global warming is sparking more and more disasters around the world. What does it mean for future generations? Our chief national political analyst, Greta Van Susteren, has the details. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. Climate change, a scourge to our planet, and it is accelerating. A new study says today the average six-year-old child will see nearly twice as many tropical cyclones, twice as many wildfires, 2.3 times more droughts, and 3.4 times more river floods than someone born in 1960. The 2015 Paris Climate Agreement set a goal to keep global warming below 2 degrees Celsius, preferably to 1.5 degrees Celsius, compared to pre-industrial levels. But a September UN report says at this rate, by the end of the century, the world could warm by 2.7 degrees Celsius. And that means more natural disasters. I recently spoke to climatologist and geophysicist, Dr. Michael Mann. We discussed the link between rising temperatures and extreme weather. You warm up the planet, uh, you're gonna have more frequent and intense heat waves, that's perhaps pretty obvious. But you also put more moisture in the atmosphere. So when it does rain, you get more of it. So we see more of these intense rainfall events, these flooding events. Um, uh, we uh, also, as we warm up the oceans, provide more energy to intensify tropical cyclones and hurricanes. And we are seeing more intense, more of those devastating category five uh, storms. Um, at the same time, you know, you heat the earth, you heat the surface, um, you dry it out, and so you get worse droughts. And when you combine heat and drought, you get these massive wildfires. In late October at the G20 summit, leaders from some of the world's most powerful nations will discuss climate change. And the United Nations is holding a climate change conference in early November. Want more Full Court Press? Tune in Sundays. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And remember that you can catch Full Court Press with Greta Van Susteren this morning at 1130 on WKYT. Sure appreciate you joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT News and hope you make it a good week ahead.